Hello and welcome to At The Source. I'm Alex and this is Karis. This is a podcast about food stories. We love talking about food and eating it. And now we're on a mission to record and share interesting food stories from people all over the UK and beyond. Join us as we explore food in all its glory. Welcome to At The Source. Today we're at Myrtle Farm, the home of Thatcher's Cider. We're talking to Chief Cider Maker Richard Johnson. Stick around after this episode for some tasting notes as we shoot the breeze with Richard and learn more about cider. Welcome, Richard. Thank you for spending some time with us today to answer our many, many questions. The first question we always start with, and I know that we're here to talk about cider, but the first question is, what is your first memory of food? (laughs) Um, I think I have two memories of food that really stick with me. One is from when I was very young. And I used to spend my pocket money on melon and fruit, you know, exotic fruits, because I really liked the flavour of them. I didn't like sweets, never really have done, never had a sweet tooth. Melon? Mm. And I used to go to the market in the town where we lived and buy melon from the fruit stall, and the ladies made a big fuss of me, because little kids didn't spend their money on fruit rather than sweets. No. But that's that's my uh, first real memory of... Adults, of, um, adults didn't, don't buy melons either, generally. I love them. That definitely wasn't what I was expecting. No, no. that's that's good. And when I really got interested in food was only a few years later, when I was probably 11, I remember my mother saying I could cook a proper dinner at 11 years old because I always was very interested in in food. And I found a cookbook in our attic which was called 500 Recipes from Abroad by Margarita Patton who was a big big sort of uh, cooking writer in the 60s. And I found this old book and I found a recipe of something I've never heard of called Hungarian goulash, which was a, mm, you know, far too exotic. This is the early 70s now. <laughs> and uh, I made Hungarian goulash for my family, and, you know, that was my signature dish for a long time. Well, it must have been quite successful. But I've always liked flavours and spicy flavours and interesting flavours, you know, even from a very early age. So, yeah. Speaking of early ages, what's your first memory of drinking cider? Uh, cider was a... a a drink that was almost acceptable for not quite children, but certainly young people to drink as long as you drank it with food. And in our house, my parents would have wine on Sunday lunch, at Sunday lunchtime. Myself and my siblings would have a bottle, bottle of cider to share. And I, re- I remember the label, it was Coates's Somerset Cider from uh, a <laughs> long, long time ago from a company that's long gone now. But um... So would that have been like a, a cloudy, like a traditional no, I think cider this was or... this was supermarket cider. It was right, um, okay. it was a, a, a big bottle of um, clear fizzy cider. Ooh. So not a great start to my no. cider making uh, career. But your, your palate has become more yeah, refined as the years I have hope gone so. on. Yeah. So, Richard, your background is actually in science. So, how did you go from a science career into being a cider maker? Cider making is all about science, and, and it's about understanding how you create the flavours from apple all the way through the process into into cider. So it's kind of a logical progression, but I'd taken a, a degree in microbiology, which is the, the study of yeasts and bacteria and things like that, and I'd started out working in antibiotics research in Cambridge, and I wasn't enjoying that too much. And I saw a job as a laboratory manager for a little cider company down in Devon, and I applied for that and got it. So I was kind of doing the science part of it, mm. And I started to ask the guys around the plant questions about what they were doing. And I thought, I actually understand this. This is a 
applied biology, applied microbiology. So I started taking a bigger and bigger interest in what they were doing and how they did it and realised I could offer sort of improvements and really the sort of the light bulb came on and I've loved the process, loved the industry and I've been in there in the industry ever since. You told me in a previous conversation we had at an event you actually make cider in your spare time at home as yes, well. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I'm, I am quite um, dedicated, as they say, dedicated to cider. But there's another little story there that uh, about why. It's not just because I, I like drinking so much, but um, <laughs> every farm in the old days used to have a little orchard and make cider for their workers. And a lot of these orchards are now deteriorating to the point where they'll be, uh, they'll, they'll be, they'll be lost because no one wants the apples. They're, Cider making has become a, a bigger commercial industry and a, a small orchard that only yields half a tonne or a tonne of apples mm. isn't really viable. So I started asking them, I said, if you, if you give me the apples, I'll give you cider back or apple juice back to encourage them to save the orchards because if the orchard has a purpose, then people will look after it. That's so, a great idea, actually. And they use the, the cider for local fundraising, things like that, you know. To, so instead of just giving money, you give them... Um, something they can sell to raise money for their cause. So it's a nice little thing. You meet some lovely people, some really interesting characters, and find some nice old old trees with old old um, varieties and flavours. And have you been finding um, old varieties of apples as well that you don't normally get to work with? Yeah, there's a lot of them don't have a name or they have a colloquial name, you know, a local name. So we don't know what a lot of them are, but the, the important thing is the flavour, and you can get some really interesting flavours. That's really cool in itself. Yeah. <laughs> but I wonder if people realise how many varieties of apple there are, especially the old English varieties. Cause, yeah, yeah, I mean, the, there's hundreds and hundreds of varieties. I think Brogdale has the nat- national collection of apples, and they have uh, probably 2,000 varieties. Wow. And of that, not all of them are suitable for cider making, but Thatcher's have an orchard uh, called our collection orchard where... Uh, we have 458 varieties of cider apple. That's incredible. And uh, we, we actually go as far as making a special cider called Thatcher's 458. Which we have a bottle of here. every apple from that orchard, all 458 varieties, all end up in the same uh, same bottle. I think people so it's see... it's totally unique, you know. People see apples in the supermarket and there's these kind of... The well, you've got your bog top, standard. Top five, yeah. yeah, well, there's, there's that, only five or six varieties, and they're selected for suitability for storage because they stay in cold store for months and months. And a lot of cider apples aren't like that. They need to be processed. They need to be turned into cider. Uh, they wouldn't store well, and um, but they are suitable for making really good, really interesting ciders. So, what makes a good cider apple? Well, in theory, any apple is a cider apple. You just make different styles of cider. So some of our ciders, like Thatcher's Haze or Rosé, are made from eating apples, like Pink Lady, Fuji, Gala, Mm. things like that. And you get a light, sweet, fruity flavour. If you want to make a a fuller-flavoured, richer, longer-lasting cider, you'd use a more traditional cider apple, like Dabinet, Yarlington Mill, uh, Vilbury, the, those are the kind of classic cider apples that you would never see in a supermarket. Because they're quite tart, aren't they? It's, tart's really a, a word associated with acidity. The, the flavour of cider comes from tannin, so it's more okay. like a red wine style tannin that dries your mouth and gives that astringency. Okay. There's very similar compounds in red wine and traditional cider, but it's, it's more about tannins than acidity. 
So what is it about making cider that you really like? There's a lot of things to like about it. As I said before, that you meet very interesting people. It's a, an industry really rooted in history and tradition and culture. It's been around for a long, long time. Uh, so I enjoy that part of it and sort of connecting with history. But also the amount of or the variety of things you can do with cider. Just with apples, we can make a whole range of flavours. It's not just making you know one particular type of product. We can go all the way from the light fruity flavours to oaky ciders uh, to complex vintage, things like that. All just from understanding the fruit and understanding the process. So to me, it's like a, a sort of magical transformation, really. It's almost alchemy to me. I love to see it. You know, I love to see the juice even running out of the apples, filling a vat, turning into cider, and then blending the different types of cider, the different apples together, to give quite distinct flavours in products and seeing what people, how they react to them. Brings it back to the science really nicely, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. It is all, all science. The, the whole uh, process is quite technical, really. Can you tell us about one of your days? Because I imagine, I imagine there's a lot going on, and not every day would be the same. But on it's, a on a random day, you pick one. It's quite a seasonal cycle to cider making, so we we tend to do the same thing for a while, and then it changes as you know the spring comes. You might be out there talking to growers about the crop, the the forecast, looking at the blossom sets, looking at how the fruit's developing. Obviously, in the autumn, a day would be really about scheduling in fruit from growers looking at the fruit as it arrives, making sure it's the right sort of quality, the right varieties, uh, and following that fruit through the process into uh, juice and cider, and then ultimately into cider. During the winter months, it's really uh, bottling and canning and kegging, so uh, the cider we've made already, uh, getting it into a, a, a package to sell. So we have quite a, a seasonal routine rather than mm. a daily routine, but there's one thing we do every day, and that's taste the cider. Yes. We're either making the cider <laughs> or packaging it, but every single day we taste cider from one part or another of the process. Quality checks. Quality checks, 12.30 every day. Yeah. So, <laughs> I was talking to some beer makers recently, and they, they don't have a specific time. It, just, it could be 8 o'clock in the morning. Oh, I don't know, that's a bit early for me. Um, I think that leads really nicely into one of our questions, actually, which is, you know... Thatcher's is a well-known cider brand, especially around here in the southwest, but actually all over the UK. So you're producing these huge amounts of cider. What, what's involved in keeping the consistency and the quality? The consistency really comes from understanding every part of the process. And that really means our planting programme, both with Thatcher's Orchards and our contract growers' orchards, select varieties that we know are going to work well in the products we don't just buy any apple they're all bought to a plan so we forecast what we think we're going to need and we either contract or plant those trees to make sure we have the right varieties coming in because we know what varieties will make what flavors so we're matching the raw material to the products we know we're going to make that's the first thing then really we've got to press those apples separately and then blend the different varieties uh, at a later stage to get the consistent flavour. So we're bringing in the right amount of out of the right varieties to a recipe that we already know what we're going to make. 
how does the weather affect the apples? Because I know that, you know, from year to year, that's why you have vintages with wine. And so, you know, 2016 was lovely, but in 2017, the weather was terrible, so it's not quite as good, or it might be better because the weather was, you know, whatever it was. How does that affect apples? It does affect them. They're not quite as susceptible as other fruits. Uh, I guess the longer growing time, you know, they're, they're late harvesting. They're not, a lot of them aren't harvesting until October, November. So they have a lot longer to even out the effects of weather change and they tend to get to pretty much the same point eventually. When they're ripe, they're ripe. We're very, very careful to only harvest the fruit when it's properly ripe so it can stay on the tree a bit longer. If the summer's been cooler and we need to leave them uh, an extra week, we do tend to see the harvest dates uh, vary by as much as two weeks from year to year. So it's more about managing that time rather than harvesting to a timetable. We harvest when the fruit is ripe. We test the fruit and our growers test the fruit and they're incentivised with bonuses to harvest the fruit when it's properly ripe rather than when it suits any other part of their farming calendar. So we're very, very careful to get the growers to put the fruit first is our motto. In that sense, it really is kind of quality over the commercials. Yeah, I guess, to some extent, point. it is, yeah. yes. It, it is. Quality always comes first. Yeah, yeah. And is there a chief apple tester? They go around to a few farms and check that it's the right day to... to well, the, <laughs> or is that just the, part of the, the farmer's the, the job? Sort of um, the man from Del Monte type uh, <laughs> role. He's, he's famous, isn't he? But our growers are all well-equipped and trained to do those tests themselves. Right. We give them the, um, the test equipment to test the fruit and we have the gr- we have very close relationship with all our growers. They come to the uh, to Thatchers at least twice a year. Uh, we involve them very closely in what we're doing and what we're thinking and what we want from our growers and from our fruit. So yeah, the answer is they do their own tests by and large. We do work closely with them. I visit the farms and they come to us. But um, they, they decide when their fruit's ready and they're rewarded for bringing it in in the right quality. That we want. That's really good to hear. Can I throw a question in that has just popped into my head? How much has the cider making process changed? Because Thatcher's has been around since 1904. And how different is the making process a, now? Yeah, it's a very good question, actually, that oh, is. Because thank you. <laughs> when, I, when I first saved up some money some years ago, I bought a, a, an actual book from 1676. That's cool. On how to make cider in, in 1676. History and they knows. did pretty much what we do now. Wow. They didn't know a lot of why they were doing it. They didn't understand the science. They didn't even know yeasts existed in they those days. They just knew days. it worked. But they knew by observation and trial and error what to do to make good cider. And all we've done over the years, including the, the years at Thatcher's, is refine that process by understanding it and understanding the the key variables that have to be controlled so we understand as i said varieties but we also understand yeasts a lot more and what they like um, in terms of temperature control oxygen requirements things like that so we we can make them as happy as possible we call our fermenters a five-star hotel for yeast because they (laughs) absolutely mollycoddle they get everything they want and they reward us by creating the right flavors that we want so now, before we started recording, you started talking a little bit about yeast and the fact that your background in microbiology allowed you to sort of understand that almost probably more easily than somebody else who's going into the cider making. Can you tell us how 
you don't have to go into huge amounts of detail because that might be an entirely different podcast topic. But can you tell us a little bit how all that yeast and how that works with the apples to provide those flavours? Yeah, yeasts are a living thing. They're a single-celled organism, but they're a living thing, and you have to treat them as they're any other living thing, as though they're like a pet, really. So we try and match the requirements of the yeast to the apple juice and the variety that we're making cider from. And that means understanding their what nutrients they like, as I say, how, how much uh, temperature they like, what, what temperature they're happiest at. If you think of a yeast like a person... If, if they get too hot, they make strange smells. If they get too cold, they won't. Do, you know, they, 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 the equivalent of a, a room full of sweaty people is um, is a, a badly managed fermentation will smell sulphury and nasty, just like a room full of hot sweaty people. Uh, think of a nightclub that you may have been in. <laughs> That's bringing back some memories. I don't. Want. If they're too cold, they get lethargic. They don't do what you, what you want them to do. If they don't get enough oxygen, they can't do what you want them to do. They they can't perform their functions. They're just like any other living thing. Hence the five-star hotel. Yeah, hence the five-star hotel. So ours have, you know, butlers bringing them whatever they want, whenever they want. I want to go and live in I want to be a yeast. (laughs) I'm starting to wonder if I am yeast. (laughs) (laughs) What goes into developing a new cider at Thatcher's? So, you know, you've got the various apples, and we'll put a photo up of of the... Thatcher's apple chart because I think it's really cool and it sort of takes you through eating apples straight into cider apples and you know all the apples in between and that's not even nearly as many apples as there are in the world can you tell us how you go okay we've got these apples we want to try this and this yeast is going to do this and let's start developing something new yeah we've we've got various ways of generating ideas sometimes it comes from uh, the, the salespeople and they, they say that you know consumers are asking for a different type of cider, a modern flavour, and sometimes it comes from the cider makers themselves saying we found a really great apple, uh, we really want to do something with this. So I, I did talk earlier about our collection orchard where we have the 458 varieties. So come the autumn, we can be found often walking up and down the, the, the rows of trees and tasting the apples that are in there and seeing which ones we think would make a really good cider. And if we find one, we'll take a couple of bucketfuls and make a a 10-litre fermenter in the laboratory in our little tasting lab, and we make a little trial batch up of 10 litres and see what everybody thinks of it, see how they think that could work. And so we have the Thatcher's Rosé here. That's your newest cider. That's our newest mainstream, yeah, that's right. And that's come from... Um, three particular eating apple varieties that we thought would work really well. They're all very red fleshed or red red skinned apples, uh, really lovely fruity sweet flavours and we just thought you know that's really um, a nice modern contemporary kind of style of cider. So we got that one into uh, in front of the salespeople and they loved it and now it's in the shops. So This will be really popular come summer I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, I keep imagining it'd be amazing as a slushy with with a wedge of lime, and I don't know if I'm <laughs> I'm saying bad things in front of the man who's made it, but I think that would. Uh, no, not at all. I you think, drink it, you know. Yeah, drink it how, how, like, how you like it. That's actually quite a nice um, point because we uh, recently interviewed Shisto Wines, um, and they were saying that 
the, the problem with a lot of wine tasting is that it's very snobby and it's very elitist and what they were trying to do is just break all of that down and say you know if you want to drink your wine like that you drink your yeah. wine like that yeah it's all about enjoyment isn't it mm. what uh, i know we ask at least one of these types of questions in every single episode and i feel bad when i do it but also i don't what's coming because because i imagine that all of these ciders are your babies but who is your favourite child? Oh, Karis. Oh, <laughs> that's a very difficult question in some ways because they all have a different role to play. So I particularly like some ciders with food. I like some ciders if I'm out just for a drink in the pub. Um, I think the, the one you, I can't get away from is gold, it's Thatcher's gold, which I do believe is the perfect balance of all the different flavours in cider. It's the favourite child. Yep, you come back to it again and again and again. So vintage is unbeatable in an evening, sitting at home with some cheese and biscuits or a meal, you know, a a fuller flavoured meal, but that would be one occasion. But gold, you come back to again and again and again. And do you always drink cider when you're drinking alcohol is that your go-to drink i wouldn't say always i do like lots of different drinks but i always drink i drink cider much more frequently than other drinks that's my favorite drink do you sometimes take inspiration from if you're having a glass of wine or if you're having i don't know a spirit and you go oh there's something in that that's making me yeah that's part of the drive for uh, innovation in our products is looking at other drinks that we enjoy, that other people enjoy, that talk to us. Um, and that can stimulate conversations with the rest of the cider makers and say, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? So we've done a Prosecco-style cider. Which know. is amazing. Yeah. Um, we've done a, a Thatcher's Gin. We've distilled Katie cider into pure alcohol to derive a, a gin flavoured with local Hello. botanicals. <laughs> that I did um, not know. <laughs> you know so we, we can show the real versatility yeah. of, uh, of apples and cider. And so sometimes you do need to try other drinks to just give yourself that kind of um, stimulation to try something different. If you could bust one myth about cider, <laughs> what would it be? I think the, the thing that disappoints me most is when people say to me, cider's just for students, it's a cheap drink for students, and it patently isn't. Cider's a ma- well-made cider is a very high-quality drink with enormous diversity, um, it pairs very well with food it's a, it's a, I think of it as a low alcohol wine rather than a, a strong cider if you take something like Vintage or Katie which are our stronger ciders they're actually to me a light wine rather than a strong cider and the, the myth I would really like to get away from is that cider's just for pints or cheap cider for um, in plastic bottles mm. it's a really high quality drink it's often said, I don't know this to be true but it is said that Queen Elizabeth I would drink nothing other than cider and had orchards planted all over to uh, give her the high-quality cider that she used to like. She did have a sweet tooth, from what I understand. So it may well be true, but I wasn't there. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's well known for her sweet tooth and her love of, you know, sugared things. Yeah, so it, wouldn't ma- it would make total sense that she loved cider. I bet so it was, was really, sweet. really sweet cider. Yeah. <laughs> when you're at home and you're experimenting, do you bring that into work I mean I guess you might bring in some samples for the for the team or something and say look what I've been working on this weekend but have there been any where you've gone oh we have to try and do something with this on a larger scale it it is quite a different style of cider making and the drive for what I've been doing at home is really about preserving old old orchards rather than 
than, than, different than anything I would bring to work. But what did come is the Prosecco style, okay. because I've tried the bottle fermentation at home, because I read somewhere that Champagne Method was actually invented by English cider makers and not by French Champagne makers. Well, I feel like there'd be a and fight that, if you said that in front of French Well, it is, it, is yeah. a, it is true. It's been researched very, very carefully. And the reason it happened was that uh, glass makers in the Forest of Dean had access to coal and they could melt glass at much higher temperatures and make it much stronger than glass that was made in France and it could stand the pressure of bottle fermentation. So it was actually a process developed in the Forest of Dean on cider. Just over yonder, really. And it was being produced 50 years before Dom Perignon was making this champagne. So well, there you go. That's pretty well documented. It's, you know, it, it is uh, supposed to be true. Here we go. History lesson yeah. and food. <laughs> All of your favourite things in one. I know we always seem to um, manage to bring it back to history and food. I think maybe we should do like an offshoot podcast that's purely history food or food history. Mm, something to think about. Now, to bring it back to food while we're talking about that, wine and beer, you often talk about pairings with those but cider's not one of those ones and you know I've I actually went to a, a cider and food matching that you set up last year we want to know when you're at home and actually even when you're out and about what are you matching with with cider and I guess you could pick three different ciders and we can sort of talk about them but what are you matching with them and what are you recommending that people eat with them Cider has such a big diversity of flavours that you can pair with pretty well anything. Um, you know, in the Thatcher's range, we've got ciders like Katie that goes very well with light foods, pasta, chicken, uh, even some desserts, uh, all the way through to uh, vintage cider that goes with more strongly flavoured foods, like cheese, strong cheeses, um, rich meat dishes. And then in the middle, you've got gold, which I always come back to. That pairs absolutely brilliantly with spicy food it's got a real ability to cut through other flavors um so it's great with curry absolutely really i was gonna my, say my favorite combination actually is uh, is a golden uh, and a nice curry but um that's definitely me as well because i i'm a cider drinker i i tend to drink cider rather than beer if i'm out and about and i always have a pint of cider yeah. with my curry yeah there you go and other ciders go well with desserts with sweeter things if you it's a little bit perhaps unexpected, but Thatcher's Rascal uh, actually goes well with rich desserts, even though it's got quite a bit of tannin, it's quite, quite a, a full flavour. It goes well with things like chocolate desserts, you know, if you were That's to... The... Yeah, it's got enough robustness to stand up to a strong flavour like a chocolate dessert. So if you, if you do lots of try, trying out, you can pair with pretty well any food. That's got to be the way to do it, hasn't it? <laughs> Trial and error. It's my philosophy. There's no need to drink anything other than cider in whatever drinking occasion whether you're having a gin and tonic, a celebration drink with the family reserve, or anything from the range to pair with any food, really. But, uh... And we're here at the Railway, um, which is the Thatcher's pub um, on your site, and on the menu you've got quite a lot of dishes where actually the cider is used as an ingredient as well, haven't yeah, you? Yeah. So it's not just about <clears throat> pairing, but also using it yeah, for... Cider's a great thing to use in cooking. It is a, a, a fruit-based drink, and it goes very well with a lot of foods. And the acidity that inside of the natural sharpness of an apple translates through into the cider, and that goes really well in sauces. A lot of the dishes that have a sauce, a sauce with them, are um, including cider in them. Have you made 
Hungarian goulash with cider. <laughs> Many times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do use cider quite a lot in cooking. I did yeah. notice on the menu you've got a Thatcher's cider mac and cheese. Yeah. Oh my god! I yeah, that. yeah, that's right. <laughs> Again, the, the sort of richness and the fattiness of cheese mm. is really well complemented by our cider. Really complements it. It cuts through that that fattiness and mm. that with the, the the sharpness of cider goes really well with it. It's well worth trying. <laughs> that's it. Now, from this point forward, I will uh, wherever I am, whether I'm at work or at home. No, there's always a reason to drink the cider. <laughs> Might have to get some little lunchtime sized bottles though, because <laughs> having having that much in a lunchtime might might make getting things done in the afternoon really difficult. When you guys are tasting in your at your twelve thirty everyday tasting, what are you what are you looking for? Uh, we taste different things on different days. We taste different parts of the process. So sometimes we're tasting. Um, freshly made cider, you know, fresh fermentations. Mm. Sometimes we're tasting maturing ciders to see if they've matured. And sometimes we're tasting what we've packaged that day, you know, what we've put in a bottle. And other times we taste during its shelf life and make sure it's still uh, in top condition all the way through its shelf life. So we're looking for different things. We're looking for nicely fermented um, that we've expressed the character of the apple and it's really come out how we wanted it to. In maturation, we're looking for that softening of tannins, that soft rounding flavour, so it's a really nice smooth cider. And then during fermentation, we're making sure that it's still fresh. And, uh, during shelf life, sorry, we're making sure that, that those lovely sort of fresh aromas are still there. Because it must taste quite different at those different stages. Yeah, I mean, apple juice and cider are completely different. So, and that's a big difference that anybody could spot, the difference between unfermented and fermented. And then the changes get more subtle and you need to be more experienced at tasting and what you're looking for. But, you, you know, that's why, we're, why, why we do what we do. You've got very refined <coughs> palates now. <laughs> yeah. And does that extend out into other things like food, like wine? I think it must do, yeah. I think once you understand flavour and you understand... Uh, what you're looking for it makes you quite discerning on other things as well so I am quite a pain really with uh... <laughs> well this is a man that you know cut his mustard on melon <laughs> <laughs> that's very true well thank you so much Richard it's been amazing yeah, chatting welcome. to you I always like cider. talking about cider it's been brilliant <laughs> and um, we will obviously share photos and links to where people can buy these ciders online and, and your social channels and everything on our show notes. Karis, you've got to do the, the end credits. If you liked Richard's story, you can find stories just like that on the rest of our episodes, so at thesource.com. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud and Spotify. Spotify. So basically anywhere you can find a podcast, you can find at the source. And if you like the story from today or any of our other ones, we'd love if you could give us a rating so more people can find us. And on that note, over and out. That's right. You can't leave without trying some other products. So shall we try something? I yes, think please. we should. Yeah. If you leave it running, we could catch the sound. And I just talked through that one. Sorry. I'll do another one. So, okay, so we're is... drinking the Thatcher's Rosé, which is the sweet sparkling Somerset cider, and that's the newest mainstream one. New this year. And oh, it's, I think I what I like about it is it's actually not too sweet. Because after all, I, I 
I don't mind a sweet cider, but you can't drink much of it because it's just after a while. It becomes like, overpowering, doesn't it, on your palate? That's but so that's, soft that you could literally yeah. just drink that at the pub in the sunshine yeah. and you would feel... I think this will feature a lot of barbecues and pub gardens this summer. I really think that we'll be seeing that one. So what sort of things, when you're drinking that, what things are you... And it's probably been drinking this for so long now that you are <laughs> over talking about it but what are you picking up when you're drinking that really the, the the key features of this is how light fruity aromatic as you said it's quite soft it's not a, a, a sharp cider it's not a heavy tannin cider it's very light very approachable kind of cider very easy to drink and we're just looking for that very light fruity flavor that um, almost a bit strawberry on the on the nose, if you, um, mm. if you if you have a, a smell of it, you'll really pick up a slight subtle strawberryness. But I think that that does taste like kind of really crisp, fresh pink apples. Mm. It actually does. That's what we're trying to capture yeah. is the essence of the apple that we use. That's delicious. Do you want to try another? I do. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, Paris, you're driving, so yeah. How many, and I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but how many, probably a terrible question, how many apples do you go through every year? Um, Approximate, not the exact number, <laughs> obviously. Many millions. Somebody did work it out once, but we, we process at least 30,000 tonnes of apples. And if wow. you think there are maybe three or four apples to a pound, you know, that's many, many millions of apples. But, um, if you came here in the autumn... All you would see is apples, and all you would smell is apples. It's a lovely place to be in the autumn, and you can count them yourself if you want. <laughs> I feel like there are worse things you could be smelling, to be honest. But counting a million apples? No, yeah. I'd be fine just to drink it. I'd be happy with a guesstimate, that's fine. Uh, so we're on to the Thatcher's Haze, which Thatcher's is a Haze. cloudy cider. That's right. This is a, a, a modern version of a very traditional way to drink cider. It's naturally cloudy. And the really defining uh, apple in here is John of Gold apples. So if you try and imagine a John of Gold apple in a glass, that's what you've got with this cider. This is my cider that I always have in the summer. I always have a Thatcher's Haze yeah. or two. That's really, it's still really light and soft, but it's also, it says sweetest apples, but again, it's not super sweet. And when I first, and I think I'm, I don't know whether I was saying this to you, at pasture but when cider became a big thing in Australia it was all the record leagues and all those and they were just it's basically just a hell of a lot of cordial and and soda water and vodka is what it tastes like it is and so that's really it really put me off cider for a really long time that's why Thatcher's Rosé will do so well because yeah they're all very authentic Thatcher's ciders are they're all made from apples they're all the flavour in the cider comes from apples and from the the cider making process we don't use other fruits mm. you know all of as you say the other brands don't approach it the same way as us mm. but we really understand that apple chart we understand what the contribution of each variety makes to the cider flavor and that's how we get this range of flavors so if you were to try something like a, a the 458 say you'll see a complete contrast to the two ciders you've just tried now mm. what are you tasting when you're tasting this this is a really juicy, uh, it's like, like drinking the juice of a, a John Go apple. That is the defining apple in here, so it's quite a crisp flavour. It's a bit, a bit more acidity than the rosé, but 
a really full flavour as well. It's kind of a richer flavour than the rosé. I don't know if you can pick up that difference. I think um, I can. <laughs> I'm flipping my non-existent <laughs> hair. Um, it's very but still a light fruity cider. We're you know, tasting ciders made from the lighter apples, the more easy drinking ciders. If we try something else, you'll, you'll see a real contrast and go, oh yeah, I see what you mean. Cool. It's actually really cool to just be sitting with the chief cider maker at Thatcher's <laughs> and he's taking us through cider. That's not an experience we get every day. And probably never again. The third cider is Thatcher's Katie, Ooh, yeah. which is a single variety cider. So Katie is a, an apple that was originally developed for the supermarkets for eating. It's a hybrid of James Grieve and Worcester Pomaine, which are two classic eating apple varieties. And they were joined together to make the Katie apple. It, for commercial reasons, it wasn't very successful as in the supermarkets. I think the, the harvesting window is too small for supermarkets. They're like a, a, a tough apple, a thick-skinned apple that lasts a lot longer on shelf. Mm. Katie is an absolutely fantastic apple for making cider, though. So we use it as, I call it Thatcher's signature apple, really. This is the, the apple that Thatcher's discovered and realised made great cider, even if it wasn't good for supermarket mm. sales see that's quite strong 7.4 yeah, that's right this is a it's a light cider but this is a stronger cider and as i say i treat this as a light wine yeah if you put katie into a wine glass or a, a sort of champagne flute mm. it wouldn't look out of place anyway no, it this quite is literally yeah, actually yeah. and it is about half the alcohol of champagne or you know sparkling wines so I think of it as a lower alcohol wine rather than a strong cider. There you go, more more Katie cider for all. If you close your eyes when you drink that, and and bear in mind it's a very pale and fizz, small type fizz, that you could be having if you had that in a champagne flute, you could be having mm. that with like fish or something, and it would actually be really as nice. It works very well. It works yeah, very well, and a lot really of nice. we've seen a lot of people use this at weddings and things as mm. their their welcome drink. Well, if I get married again. <laughs> Then I could, I could have um, Thatcher's Katie as my toast drink. Yeah, yes, it's quite common now. I think. So, what do you, what do you, when you're tasting that, what are you, what's coming out for you? Katie's, um, as I say, a hybrid of Worcester Pomaine and James Grieve, and they're Sorry, noted for the the strawberry note. The character on the nose is a slight strawberry, which does come through into Katie. If you have a, uh, inhale the sort of aroma, mm. you should get a bit of that. <clears throat> It's got a nice crispness as well. Mm. Katie's quite a, a sharp apple. It's in the intermediate range between sweet-eating e- apples and sharp-eating apples like Cox's. You know, a Cox is renowned for being mm. a crisp, sharp mm. apple. Mm. Katie's on the way to a Cox. It's not as, as, as sharp as a Cox, but we're looking for that same kind of that crisp bite that you get from a, a Cox-style apple. These... Um the apples heading towards the side apples on that side, they, do they tend to be smaller ones as well? Uh, no, the, the size is really because they come from old orchards if they're small. Oh, okay. The modern cider apples are a, 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 a typical yeah. apple size. Right. That's, but when you see those very small apples, they tend to be from the big old-fashioned trees and then probably 50 years old, something like yeah, that. Really yeah, really gnarly-looking trees. Yeah, gnarly trees, and they, they give quite small apples. But yeah, cider apples have got great names. You know, if you look through the list of what's in our collection orchard, you see all kinds of things. Some of them named after people in, in the in the past. Uh, some of them named after where they were found. Like Yarlington Mill was found growing out of the side of a, a water mill down at, you know, at Yarlington, a village in Somerset. That's what I love about 
the UK, I mean, it's probably the same in some other countries as well, but you've just got, even in the food, has there's so much history. Mm. You've mm. got, and like you say, you know, you're saving orchards and you've got all of these that some of them were brought back from the dead almost in some yeah. cases, weren't yeah. they? Uh, very much so, yeah. I mean, cider's been part of the drinking culture in Britain for hundreds and hundreds of years. I mean, it was well known that the Romans brought apples with them, but there is evidence of apple pips being found even way back in sort of Neolithic times. You know, the early humans, you know, would have, I don't know, I guess they found almost rotting fruit or something and found it had alcohol in it, but... There's a a, a very, very long tradition of cider drinking, that's for sure. It's that whole thing Um, about, like, food, not just food discoveries, but pairing. When someone thought, oh, oh, I don't know about those apples, they're on the turn. I'll just try one. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, we didn't have those people in our lives. (laughs) We we wouldn't be here today drinking cider, would we? That's right. But, you know, the history of cider does go back many hundreds of years. And as I say, it's well documented. There were books being written about orcharding and cider making in the 1600s. And it wasn't just one, there was quite a number of them then. A number of the early agricultural writers went round and toured the orchards and found out how they made cider in different counties, why it was different. Um, what a job. What a job. Yeah. Right. right. I'm keen to try the 458. Yep. This is the one that's got every single apple type from the... From the orchard. From the exhibition orchard. Exhibition, yeah, the exhibition orchard. For some reason. That's right. This is really John Thatcher's life's work is to collect rare varieties and preserve them in this orchard. So it's a unique asset that Thatcher's has um, and a great asset for us as cider makers uh, to be able to go and look at all these varieties. It's kind of like a living library. Where can people get this, this cider from? Because I certainly haven't seen this one before. Uh, this is uh, one that's quite local in terms of um, its distribution. I think we sell it in the railway pub and in Thatcher's shop on site. Uh, so it's really to give people something interesting to And can to you buy it online? When they, um, you can buy it online. It's to give them something interesting when they come to visit us at Thatcher's. So, uh, But yeah, you can buy it online if, um, if you're a bit too far away to come and visit. And you've actually got, because when we were in the pub before and we said, oh, what about these ones? And you said, oh, well, these are the ones that only are available here. So there's there's a whole range of ciders that are only... They're not, not only here, they're only available locally. They're, locally. they're more kind of regional and local There's a reason to go to Somerset. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's so it's, you need to go it's a good reason to come and visit. <laughs> well, and you said there's a there's a path along here that people bring their dogs and they Yeah, there's a very the popular and... walk called the Strawberry Line, which is the old railway line that's now turned into a cycle path and Ooh. walkway. So this Thatchers is about halfway along that, so it's a great kind of... Stopping point. Day out to stop off and stop off at the railway for lunch. So, so this cider here tastes. This is the the four five eight that we were just talking about. It looks like a cider when but you it look tastes. at it. It's that yes. colour. If you contrast the the colour with the previous ones, you've got cider apples in here. You've got tannin in here. Oh wow! Um, that it tastes almost like a spirit. Yeah, this is full of traditional flavours, full of traditional cider apples. This is kind of living history, really. These Some of these apples have been written about back in the 1600s in those books I was talking about. Oh, so cool. Oh, it is really cool. <laughs> I feel like studying up on cider now. Can I borrow some of your books? <laughs> <laughs> but you've got apples like Sheep's Nose, um, Slack My Girdle. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> There's a very old variety called Slack My Girdle. 
And the, the reason for, for its name, or it acquired, it, acquired its name, is that um, the, the apple made such good cider, people would have to loosen their clothes so they could drink more. Oh, that's, that's, that's not as bad as I was thinking. That's the, I don't know what I was thinking. That's the official version. 